0: Today on CityCast Chicago, Board of Ed votes Chicago police officers out of schools. What will the Bears do with their number one pick? And after 45 years, Chicago says goodbye to meteorologist Tom Skilling. Joining me to talk about it all, Tribune sports writer, Shakia Taylor, and freelance journalist, Crystal Paul. It's Friday, March 1st, I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. Morning, Shakia. Welcome back to the podcast.
1: Morning. Happy to be back. Thanks for having me.
0: We are happy to have you here and morning. Welcome back, Crystal.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Yesterday on CityCast Chicago, we released our guide to March And we were getting a little bit ahead of ourselves Because this is a leap year, meaning we had an extra day of February But there's so much going on this month that we had to jump on it Everything from Women's History Month So we played a little bit of trivia on the podcast Of course, we had to talk about St. Patrick's Day, Chicago Hinge And a few other things happening But I want to check in with y'all What is something you are looking forward to in March Besides the unpredictable weather? Shakia, let's start with you What's something you're looking forward to in March, Jay?
1: I got I got I got to stick to sports. I'm looking forward to opening day. Baseball season is usually the my time of year. I'm super hype. Not necessarily for the local teams, but I'm, hyped. <laughs> but I'm hype in general because baseball means summer is on the
0: way. Facts, facts. Last time you was here, we had some wild predictions about how the bear season was gonna go. So we gotta avoid making any predictions about where the Cubs or the Sox will end up. Come, I don't know September. So we'll we'll save that for now. But but I am excited for Opening Day. And every year I find a way to get up. To Wrigley and find a way to get over to uh, Comiskey. and so I am excited for opening day. Crystal, what are you looking forward to in the month of March?
2: Spring break. That means I'm gonna grab my kid to school at 8 a.m. every day. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it right
0: there. Do you, for spring break, is y'all just gonna be in a crib together? Is this a sort of take your butt outside? I'll see you later in the day. Oh, it's
2: very much outside situation (laughs) very much to get outside but the thing is i get to get outside too and it's finally hopefully going to be warm and not like randomly hailing so that'll be Mm -hmm.
0: nice (laughs) beautiful again this was a really unpredictable week for weather but it also means we had some big stories across the city of chicago and if you're new to the podcast every friday we like to bring in some of our friends to talk about the stories they were following this week Uh, Crystal, let's start with you. Last week, the Chicago Board of Education unanimously voted to terminate its 10.3 million dollar school resource officer program in Chicago public schools. I mean, this has been on people's radar for the last few years as more and more schools have moved away from officers. But between this vote and a new production at Timeline Theater, uh, this this topic feels more relevant than ever.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is. So there are about 39 schools that will be impacted by it. Um, 39 schools that have SROs, which, as you know, there's about 500 CPS schools. Um, So that doesn't seem like a big number, but a lot of these schools also have security officers. Not quite the same thing. Still a big deal. Um, So right now, Timeline Theater has a production of Notes from the Field by Anna Devere Smith going on. And let me tell you, this play will make you cry, first of all. (laughs) It will make you cry and, like, swallow hard because... It is talking about all of the things that have happened in the past decade or so, and and even a little bit before, that have really drawn national attention um, around uh, violence at the hands of police and around the school-to-prison pipeline. So that's how it's sort of tying into the Board of Education's most recent vote. Um, For a lot of students, that kind of, that school-to-prison pipeline is a a reality uh, in their schools. We all might remember... Um, Naya Kinney and uh, the student only known as Shakara. This happened in uh, South Carolina. A student was violently thrown from her desk and dragged across the floor by a school resource officer. And the students in the classroom filmed it. And, um, you know, it kind of went like wildfire across the media. Um, And I think it really stuck with a lot of people. And when we're talking about having police in schools, a lot of people think of exactly that kind of situation. Um, and some students have that exact sort of experience, just this intimidating presence, this distrust with um, the police, and then just feeling sort of policed in their school, a the place that's supposed to feel safe for them. That's not everyone's experience. So this was a pretty controversial vote. Uh, some people were pushing back because they have really strong relationships with the officers, the school resource officers in their school. But for the students that I spoke to, uh, for the story that I wrote, they were students at Alcott, uh, college prep, um, on the Northwest side, and they don't actually have school resource officers in their school. But what they talked about was having encounters with police outside of school and how that can impact them even in school and in their like future and future academic endeavors, essentially. Um, Uh and that's a large part of what the play was about is how these violent interactions can impact you, whether they're happening in school or outside of school.
0: Did you get to uh, experience the play alongside of these students? And, you know, you talked about you uh, sort of being overcome with emotion while watching it. What was it like for these young people for whom these topics may be sort of not only close to home in terms of the time they may have just experienced these things or know people who have just experienced these things? Uh, but also at a time when so much scrutiny around our young people seems to be sort of blaming themselves themselves.
2: Mm, Yeah, well, so, you know, a couple of things. First, um, well, it's it's based off of interviews with people familiar with the school to prison pipeline. She interviewed security officers, police officers, um, activists, teachers. All kinds of people. Um, and it's it's a bunch of monologues and it's a two and a half hour long play. Now you take a bunch of high schoolers and put them in a dark room for two and a half hours and have somebody do some monologues at them. What do you think is going to happen? So like some of them were sleeping. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, and, you know, they were kind of restless um, at times, especially when there were monologues that kind of seemed like uh, probably what they deal with, you know, every day from grown-ups, just somebody lecturing at them. But then there were these moments where I was, I think, probably doubly impacted because I saw how much they just kind of straightened up and got really quiet and were just wrapped. Um, something that is not easy to do with a bunch of high schoolers in a dark room for two and a half hours. Um, and one of those scenes was definitely Naya Kenny. Um, And another one was this man Taos. And he was talking about his own experience. Started off just going to school and then being a sort of normal kid, but having a little trouble paying attention, you know, getting into a little trouble and people just gave up on him. Suspension, suspension, kicked out, um, moved to a bunch of different schools and how that sort of very easily and inevitably led to him ending up in prison. Um, and the kids, again, were very just focused. It just, all the restless like knees bouncing and hands ruffling and little giggles and stuff just stopped and they're just paying attention. Um, so I think that was an indicator of how close to home this is for these students. Um, And a reminder that these kids, these are kids who have lived through so much (laughs) in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, The most high profile police brutality cases that we've had in the last decade. They were in middle school and elementary school when these things were happening. Um, And as one of the facilitators who helps with the timeline uh, said was just, you know, we'd be fools if we didn't think they were absorbing this stuff.
0: The Johnson administration has outlined this plan to remove SROs, but a, a full plan will be uh, coming, I believe, by June uh, on sort of how the, the the board plans to move forward. Uh, but if you want to see notes from the field at Timeline Theater, it is playing now until the end of March. And so we'll drop a link to tickets in the show notes. Are you self-conscious about your smile? your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S., they got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. Shakia, it feels like Chicago Bears fans, but also football fans in general, can't stop talking about what will the Bears do with their number one pick. And let's be clear, in the Bears history, this is only the fourth, I believe, fourth time the Bears have had the number one pick in it so it doesn't feel like it comes around often but it has happened a few times in the last couple of decades and people are wondering what will the Bears do will they retool their offense and go with the new quarterback will they stick with Justin Fields and sort of draft around him uh Shakia this courtship has been going on and will continue to go on for the next two months what's the latest uh, especially out of the Williams camp
1: What I am finding to be incredibly interesting about all of this, keep in mind this conversation has been happening for months and even I'm exhausted of it. I can't imagine what it feels like to be a fan, you know? But one of the things that happened this week is the NFL Combine is going on in Indianapolis. And uh, Caleb Williams had a conversation with a journalist at ESPN on the phone. And he seemed to be sort of courting chicago he talked about you know how he's been watching videos of walter payton and michael jordan and how chicago has these immortal athletes and it's not about the money that's what he wants to be and it's like okay He's fully selling it to the city now. He's.
0: I was gonna say, when you started <laughs> dropping Walter Payton and MJ over the phone at the combine, it's like you you, you laying it on thick, man. Yeah. You could have got an athlete from the last like five years. He said, I'm gonna go into the, I'm gonna reach. I'm
1: gonna I reach. I mean, but to be fair, he's 22 and mm-hmm. Chicago has been celebrating the same things for 35, 40 years. So he really had nowhere to dig into, you know? Like, we're, we're, we're talking about a team that what hasn't been to the playoffs or played in a playoff game maybe since 2010. So there's nothing really for him. We had one. To...
0: We had one from there. But, you know, it, it is what okay. it
1: is. Okay, okay, I'm so it. sorry. We ain't win it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think for him, he knows how starved yeah. this city is for not only – Uh, A championship, but an athlete Mm -hmm. who is going to live up to those very high standards in this town.
0: Kayla Williams, for people who are not familiar, is from USC um, and is a Heisman Trophy winner. Right. A a lot of people have them very high on their draft board. Um, I watch a few pundits who say maybe pump the brakes a little bit. We don't know how much we know uh, about Williams' possibility. I mean, how many number one or first round quarterbacks have ended up uh, not being megastars? And so people have asked us to sort of sit with Fields. Just from your kind of sports perspective, do you think it's too early to pull the plug on Justin Fields to be going for another sort of franchise quarterback, the Bears' eternal uh, battle?
1: I do. I actually, Mm. I watched an interview with uh bears ceo kevin warren and uh brandon pope um from on the block and i noticed that like something he said was he would love for the team to get a haul for that first round pick Mm. he'd love to be able to say like hey we can use this pick and build around the team i think that says something i know that a lot of people are are not Justin Fields people. They are very much so get away from him, get the new guy. But if you bring in the new guy and you don't work on building the rest of the team, You're gonna be in the you are gonna end up place. in the same place. And I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's all I keep saying. You know, happy to be wrong, of course, if it makes the city happy and they're winning. But I also think there's something to be said for a team who has never developed their own quarterback to suddenly think that now when you couldn't do it with this one guy, you can do it with another. Um, I actually believe this to be one of those like franchise make or break decisions. Ooh. The, the way they go could impact the fan base for years to come. We're kind of at a point in the road where you have young Chicagoans who are Packers fans. If my great Uncle Tony were alive, he would be cursing out their families. But that's what has happened.
0: I got with, I got some homies who Packers You know? So, so you know exactly
1: what I mean. People like winners. We love to give bandwagon fans a hard time, but Everyone
0: likes a winner. Every single week, we like to make sure we're focusing on some stories that maybe didn't get the same amount of attention this week as some of our headlines. So, Crystal, you brought up a great story earlier today from Maxwell Evans, a friend of ours over at Block Club Chicago, who did a recent feature about black steel workers. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about his work?
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, um, honestly, I was I was first drawn into the story by Colin Boyle's amazing portraits of some of these Black steel workers who used to work at the largest steel plants um, on the South side um, in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, and then, uh, you know, Maxwell's reporting really drew on the rich history that was there and the promises that were made. People came largely from the South, part of the Great Migration, came up here with this these promises that if they went and worked at the steel plants, they would have, you know, college funds for their kids. They would have insurance. They would get paid. They would get promoted. Um, and, you know, some of that was somewhat true for a time. Um, but they also faced rampant discrimination and they you know, were injured on the job, highly dangerous job. And a lot of them were just sort of cut off after a certain level of promotions. And then on top of that, of course, the steel plants just suddenly started closing. And that's when they kind of lost everything. And you can't, I, I love what I love about what Maxwell does. Is he, you know, sort of subtly ties it to some of the disinvestment that happens on the South side, even today, like there was this booming economy and then nothing.
0: Yeah, We've done neighborhood guides and tours of places like Hegwish and East Side and South Chicago, a lot of neighborhoods and community areas that were built up throughout those decades because of the the steel plants. What I really appreciate about Maxwell's work is the nuance. What does that mean to this day in terms of watching your neighborhood slowly not only be siphoned from its resources, lose its jobs, but what does that mean? We've talked to people who say the parades don't run down the streets the way they used to. The number of bars, restaurants in the area has sort of dwindled over the decades. And to see even 40, some cases 50 years after these plants closed, just what their generational legacy has been uh, for a lot of these families. And uh, again, you gave a huge shout out to Colin Boyle because those photos as as so many of his pictures just kind of pull you in from the start.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think you're right, though. If you if you drive through, you know, South Shore, for example, um, you start on the west side and start driving east, suddenly you just see, like, more vacant buildings. And then, of course, those large swaths of land where the steel plants were are still there, largely, but just empty and unused. And it's wild because it was clearly such a big part of the culture of that area. Mm
0: -hmm. From one must-read to another, Shakia, you recently wrote about a new professional hockey league for women that started this year. Uh, Can you kind of catch people up and, and why this may potentially expand to Chicago?
1: Um, absolutely. The the new league is called the PWHL, Professional Women's Hockey League. It is the unified women's professional hockey league um, in North America. So all of the players come from not just the U.S., but Canada as well, um, which, as we all know, is the home of hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the foundational members is Kendall Coyne Schofield, who is from the Chicago area. Um, she is a world-renowned skater, right? She is an Olympic gold medalist. She, as a woman, competed in the NHL skills competition. Just an incredible hockey player. And the problem with women's professional hockey was we only saw them every four years or so. We only really got to see them around the Olympics. And there have been uh, professional women's hockey leagues formed in the past, but they didn't have Either the money or the resources or the facilities um, or just the general investment necessary for something sustainable. So a group of players completely sat out playing professionally, I'll say, for the last couple of years. And they formed um, a union, uh, the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. And through that union, they started figuring out ways that they could themselves create a league that they felt was beneficial to them and sustainable long-term and one that they felt treated them as professionals. And Chicago is supposed to be on the list for a future team. Right now, there are six cities. They're all kind of concentrated in the same general area in the Northeast and Minneapolis, of course the U S hockey home. Um, so with, with Chicago being there in the future and us being such a large, uh, you know, hockey fan base, I think there's, there's great promise for women's hockey fans and hockey fans, period.
0: I was going to say, in our city, we've seen just in the last decade the growth of popularity of the red stars in the sky. You I mean hockey? Obviously, has its place in Chicago. We'll be hosting the Winter Classics. You know, what would it mean to Chicago to have a a professional women's hockey presence in the city?
1: I think it would mean a lot. First of all, we have a ton of women who are fans of the Blackhawks, and I think we will give them, you know, the PWHL, I should say, will give them an opportunity to have something of their own, so to speak. And I think with the way fans have sort of, you know, grown weary of the Blackhawks organization and the the controversies and the problems that they've had, there's a lot of questions with regard to fandom there. And the PWHL is fresh, it's new, it's 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 rooted in, in women and in women's history and you know, in equity. And I think that's something any, you know, human generally could get behind. There's a lot of promise there and there's a lot of hope in sports and they're just a sign of it.
0: I think that story is a perfect transition to our final uh, segment of the day. And like every episode, we try to make sure that everyone leaves with some good news. This could be an event, something personal happens, something professional good news. Crystal, uh, last time you were here, we were talking about basketball courts in Beverly and you're back and your good news has something to do with maybe the future of those courts.
2: Yes. Well, one can hope anyway. Um, so yeah, as uh, as we talked about before, there is not a single basketball hoop, uh, outdoor basketball court um, in Beverly. And one of the kids that I spoke with who was particularly angry about this um, is doing something about it. So he's part of an IB program um, in his school and they have to do a project. And he decided his project was going to be trying to get an outdoor basketball court in Beverly. So um, he um, went to his park advisory council and gave an impassioned speech about how there needs to be um, some outdoor courts at the parks. And he's choosing um, his own park. The one that's close to his house is close to his heart where he's played a lot of ball and, and, uh, and other sports as hopefully the first place um, to get an outdoor court. He gave a pretty convincing argument. The pack seemed, mostly on board. They're going to vote to see if they can support. Um, But obviously they're not the park district themselves, so they can't legally speak for the park district. So his next step is the alderman and the park district itself. And this is a 13 year old kid, y'all 13 years old. And he was like, I'm sorry, this is a problem. Time to fix it. I love it.
0: I was going to say when you, when you, Think about the bureaucratic hoops you have to jump through in Chicago to get anything done in your neighborhood. To know that the 13-year-old is sort of moving through this process. I got to sit down with the PAC. They got a petition that, what, got like 300 signatures, right? And so now they got to talk to their alder. And we are, as your reporting show, it's it's so much more than there isn't a hoop there. Like, what does that say about my neighborhood? What does that say about what people want for Beverly, what people thought basketball has or hasn't represented for the neighborhood over the decades. And, you know, it is a good piece of news to see, you know, young people being uh, active in their community in these kinds of ways.
2: You know, what I thought was the most interesting part of of his speech was he kept saying, you know, I've had to, I've seen my friends like tie up nets on monkey bars or like, you know, play in the middle of the street, things like that. And he's like, and otherwise they have to go and pay to, at a community center. He said, we shouldn't have to pay to play. Um, But what was what was really interesting about that is afterwards, you know, they were kind of like, that's great. Thank you for your speech. We can't do that much. Um, We're just the pack kind of thing. And so but that didn't that didn't kill, you know, his his desire to push on this. Like he wasn't like, oh, the pack, like he has to figure this out as he's going through it. So he's like, "Okay, so the pack can't do it. So I got to the park district. You know, they're like they're giving him advice and he's figuring it out. But you're right. Bureaucracy could um, slow down maybe a a less motivated person. (laughs)
0: Shout out to Elias Gray, um, the the 13-year-old behind this campaign. Uh, Shakia, I want to kick it over to you. What is your good news?
1: My good news is actually a little bit about myself, really. Come um, on.
0: <laughs> we love that.
1: Last week, I was uh, named in Chicago Readers Best of Chicago. Um, and it really felt good, to be honest. I've lived in Chicago for... 20 plus years i've sort of really loved becoming a part of the sports community here so to get that recognition from the locals right from other people here that the things that i'm covering in sports as far as the local community and the connections between sports and culture i don't know it just made me feel really good it made me feel seen it made me feel like okay the community is receiving you know what I'm what I'm putting out there and they are enjoying the fact that I'm not just writing about the million dollar athletes mm-hmm. that I am getting to talk to the kids in the neighborhoods who are doing a little good.
0: No, I love that. I love your reporting. We love having you on the show. Um you know, the Piggyback City Cash Chicago best podcast 3 hey, years in a row. There uh, we go. And- and so I share how good it feels to 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 be seen by even the people who, who are already tapped into the work we're doing. So, Shakira, we appreciate you making time for us here at CityCast Chicago, uh, and we love all of the work that you are doing.
2: And we're waiting for your autobiography. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Before we get out of here, I want to make sure we leave with some good news. After 45 years, WGN chief meteorologist Tom Skilling signed off for the final time earlier this week. If you check the show notes, I'll drop a link to his his sort of parting words. Uh, Skilling announced back in October that he was going to be retiring. And what's been cool over the last four or so months is to just watch all of the love that is poured in for this man. His name rings true to them for so many of us like myself. That is what was playing on TV. In, in my grandmother's homes, WGN. So at some point, uh, his antics came up. At some point, his both accurate and inaccurate uh, predictions uh, was something that I grew up watching. And for him to be such a constant voice in Chicago and one that, again, 45 years in this city is a lot of history, a lot of changing regimes, a lot of mayors, a lot of new and old policies, but to be such a, uh, in many ways, beloved figure across nearly five decades, out to skilling, I hope he enjoys his retirement, whatever that brings. And you know, shout out to WGS Demetrius Ivory who's got some really big, big shoes to feel. Uh, But it makes sense for one of the most unpredictable and random weather weeks in Chicago history uh, to sort of end with the departing of our fair meteorologist. Uh, Do either of you uh, remember at any point seeing Skilling on your TV at some point or hearing his voice at some point over the last couple of decades?
1: Of course, listen, I have a Tom Skilling brief story that I will forever, ever, ever love Tom Skilling for I'm sure you all remember 2011, the blizzard of 2011, right? I was at work downtown and everyone was like, oh, you know, meteorologists. And I go, no, Tom Skilling said that we should be on our way home by 1 p.m. (laughs) At 1 p.m., I'm going home. My boss was like, well, you can do what you want. Meteorologists are wrong, blah, blah, blah. I was the only person who left my office at 1 p.m. and came home everyone else was struggling to get home. Your girl was at the crib. I had some beers on the balcony waiting for the snow to to make them cold. Tom Skilling got me out of work that day and he was right.
0: And he was right.
1: (laughs) He had been predicting that for two weeks. So shout out to Tom Skilling for getting me out of work and making my boss at the time look silly.
0: I will say I am hugely grateful to both of you all for making time. Crystal, all of the work that you do as a freelance in this city. I want you to know we see you here at city Cash Chicago and we appreciate it. Shakia, thank you so much for coming back, whether we are talking sports or talking our Herald's orders. It's always a pleasure, my <laughs> friend.
1: Thanks. Thank you so much.
0: Before we let you go, I got to give a huge thank you to the people who make CityCast Chicago possible. That's executive producer Simone Alisea. Our producer is Michelle Navarro. Our Hey Chicago newsletter editor is Sydney Madden. We had great help this week from producer Elizabeth Kama. The music we all love is from Sam Thousand, All the Kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. As always, my last thank you is for you. I appreciate you making time for us. Be back here bright and early on Monday when we're talking about TIFF 101. Talk soon. Peace.
2: I'm sorry, do Cubs fans like winners? What? <laughs> I also
1: think the Cubs are kind of an exception. Here's why. Because the Cubs operated off vibes for 108 years and you gotta give credit where credit is due when you can throw such a party that your team can lose 100 (laughs) games and everybody is still kicking it like come on game over the cubs (laughs) win vibes curators of the century